0: Allow me to reintroduce myself. What's up, people? And welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast. And today, I actually want to talk about the Prison Reform Act that was just signed, I want to say about two weeks ago, and how it affects you, how it can affect you, and what it really means. Today, it's actually, I'm looking at what it actually means for me. And I'm gonna give you something. There's gonna be a little bit of opinion sprinkled in this and I'm gonna let you know when that's coming in because right now, it's gonna be opinion. Right this second is opinion. Because for me, this act is the biggest smokescreen I've ever seen in my life because it is doing very little for those that have been impacted, will be impacted, and how it is actually being applied at this very moment. Because we look at what the, the act stands for. Now, let's do a quick breakdown of it. It only affects 211,000 people because it only affects those that are in federal prison right now and have been locked up after 2010. Say that one more time. It only affects 211,000 people that are in federal prison that have been incarcerated after or sentenced after 2010. So, why do I think that's complete crap for the most part well let's go into the real numbers i understand that the system is horribly flawed because one of my favorite movies is done by denzel washington he did a movie called roman j israel esq this movie was about the right to a fair trial Now, the reason why this movie drew my interest is because you talk about the fact that 95% of all people do not go to trial. 95% never see a judge, never are convicted by a jury of their peers, but they go to prison. And here's where it really just piles on. When you look at United States currently house 2.1 million people in prisons, local, state, and at the federal level, and the fact that that is more than 30% of all incarcerated individuals in any country so that's on the planet we house more than 25 percent of the world's incarcerated and we are like number 30 in population let that sink in we have one of the smallest continental populations but we have the absolute largest individuals incarcerated now i'm going to go into some real numbers Why, again, I feel this act is absolute trash. 40% of our incarcerated population is there on a pre-trial basis. That means they haven't made bond. They have not been convicted. They have not taken a deal. They are just sitting in jail, waiting to even go to court. Now, What that means is 840,000 people are sitting in jail that have not been convicted, have not been found guilty, have not been even really stated that they've committed a crime. Only the idea and why I constantly tell you our system is not about right or wrong, guilt or innocence. It's about revenue because I want to go back real quick because we had a government shutdown. And then I, I did a population breakdown just to give you, give you a kind of a small graph, but I'm gonna run over it one more time. We had a the longest government shutdown in history, which was actually number four of 2018 that spilled into 2019. Now we look at The top 1% of Americans make a million dollars or more. Right, 1% of 300,000 counted people. Right, so let's keep it in perspective. Let's look at the fact that 80% of Americans make less than $100,000 per year. And of that, 65% of Americans make less than $40,000 per year. So we're looking at Maybe 40 million Americans, or 35% of Americans, make less than $12,000 a year and live in poverty. We had a shutdown that not only took a month, where you have almost 75% of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck miss five paychecks. Right Now let's look at the absolute fact Of what's going on When we're talking about prison reform Because is it The bill that actually Reforms prison Or is it a bill that Keeps things Or keep the status quo Because it doesn't Change anything on the local or state level Because It doesn't change Anything about bond requirements. It does not change anything that deals with the actual issue at hand. Because we're talking about people that aren't going to federal prison, we're talking about people that are going to state prison camps. We're talking about people that are sitting in Fulton County, Rice Street. We're talking about people that are filling up jails in DeKalb County. We're talking about people that are in jails that we're known as 401 or Fantasy Road from where I'm from. We're talking about those people. What reform has happened or how does that bill impact those people? It doesn't because we still have over 800,000 people that this bill doesn't affect because they're sitting awaiting trial. I'm going to say that one more time. The bill itself only affects currently 211,000 people that are in federal prison. Which, it only affects a small group of those people because it only enacts those that happened or that were sentenced after 2010. So if you were in there prior to 2010, this bill has nothing to do with you. So when we're looking at the fact that 800,000 people are sitting in jails at the state and county level that have yet to be convicted of any crime. That, to me, is the problem. And then on average, across the country, you're looking at average jail time. Prior to actually going to trial is a minimum of 120 days, which is... Four months. That's before you even that's the average. The average minimum. So we're looking at let's say looking at a place in Cleveland. Their average wait time when people can't pay bond and they go and sit in a actual jail or like a halfway house where they actually initiate 23-hour day lockdown where the conditions have been ruled to be unlivable, their average wait time prior to trial is 160 days. That's longer than the average of 120 across the board. And that's just for bond. That is just bond. That is not going to trial. So now when well, we have a system where it's not about guilt or innocent, And it actually is damn sure not about the truth because when you're talking about the truth you're talking about a um, system that is perpetuating a cycle of recidivism because if you're living paycheck to paycheck and then you can't pay bond and then you're sitting in jail and you're losing your job you're losing your home what in the hell do they expect to happen but for you to end up committing a crime, selling a narcotic, to actually make ends meet. When you have this disp- disproportionate numbers, and it's literally based on not only skin tone, but economic levels. I'm gonna say that one more time. It's not only skin tone, It's based on economic levels because they know 95% of people are not going to fight. And the 5% that do fight, they generally win. Why? Because they have no choice. They're backed into a corner. They have no other option other than to win. So the thought patterns are different the situation itself becomes more, it becomes something that resembles actual life and death. And I'm going to give you a quick story because a lot of people that listen may or may not know my backstory. I was charged with racketeering in 2009 in DeKalb County, Georgia. At the time, Assistant District Attorney John Melvin felt it was okay to charge me and several of my brothers with Rico. And the funny thing about it is from the time I was charged and I believe it was March of 2009 to my arrest, which was August of 2009. Georgia didn't even have a Rico statue. It didn't even get enacted until November, 2010. I'm gonna say that one more time. I was charged with racketeering in 2009 by assistant district attorney, John Melvin. It was under the watchful eye of at the time, district attorney, Robert James of DeKalb County. And there was no RICO statute at the time that I was charged. Now, the problem was, even during the trial and right before the um, jury came out with the verdict of not guilty, I maintained the fact that one, there was no evidence of Rico. Two, there was no money that they could think of. And three, nothing that they did was lawful. And I actually got the detective, the lead detective on that case, to admit on the stand at least four times that he had lied in paperwork. They had a warrant that was not signed, which they lied to get. And even Courtney Johnson, the judge on that case, she for the most part was showing bias at the initial impact of the case, at the initial start of the case. But then it went into The bailiff complimented myself and my two brothers on our behavior because we did not go into the courtroom acting a fool. We we didn't go in there yelling and screaming and hollering, the Constitution, the Constitution, the Constitution. The verbiage that was used was the fact that we came in and showed the court more respect, one than it deserved, and then two than the people that actually practiced there every day. But the biggest part about it was the fact that we came in different. We appeared to be broke, poor, you know what. But we came in as intelligent men that removed color, that removed skin tone, because we dealt with 100% law we were able to show the jury what the actual law was. We were able to paint a picture of what it was that we were doing and why it was legal. Cause hell, even Jody Fleischer, her first article literally read a legal loophole because that's all it was. We exploited legal loopholes in everything that we did. We didn't do it to take advantage of anything. We did it because we watched other folks do it on a daily basis. The problem was we were teaching people how to not fall into the trap of recidivism, not fall in the trap of just paying revenue every time something happens. We were teaching people to stand up and fight back. Keep this money in your pocket. You're working hard for it. Your kids need this money. You need this money. Your community needs this money. Your state needs this money. The people that are generating this revenue are not giving it back to the state. They're not giving it back to your community. They're not giving it back to your kids because you look at the fact that now they're building more jails, closing down schools, And then what they're doing, they're defunding education across the board. I'm going to say that one more time. They're doing things to make sure that you don't know what they're doing is wrong by holding back your education of your children. And they're giving you everything free because they know you're not going to look for it. They're putting things out of reach while leaving it right in your hand. Because anytime that they're doing something, you have the option of turning on a podcast. You have the option of going to the library. You have the option of going to a law library. You have the option of going online, not to Google, but to Harvard Law, Yale Law Review, Cornell Law Review. You have an option for all of these actual free sources but they know you're not going to look at these they know you're going to type something into google and then go straight to youtube they know those are wrong that's why they've been up so long that's why they're not scrutinized as they should be because it helps them continue doing the things that they're doing now i'm gonna get back on topic Because, again, I told you, this is going to be very opinionated, but I'm going to have facts in here. Because there is a fact that there is over 840,000 people that are awaiting trial because they have not been convicted. That is a fact. There are more than 2.1 million people incarcerated in our legal or judicial system at this moment. That is a fact. 75% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That is a fact. People are sitting in jail for up to one, two years without ever going to trial and then being acquitted and they get nothing. Now, I brought that up because whenever I talk about fighting, I always talk about the one thing that most people don't want to do. And I'm going I'm to actually ask the question, how many of you exercise? reason why that question is asked is because anytime you're talking about doing something to make your body better, doing something to make your mind better, they use the word exercise, but we forget about that when we're talking about the Constitution, because most people that I deal with on a daily basis don't want confrontation, they don't want to exercise, they want, don't want to do anything that has any resistance to it. They don't want to do anything that somebody might say something back to them. Well, we have a confrontational system here in America, and it's called an adversarial system. The Constitution was written as a defense mechanism against those that are supposed to do a job, letting them know what their job is, The Supreme Court decisions are there to keep the procedures where they're supposed to be at. And when I talk about it's not just skin tone. It's economically. Because it's not a war on blacks. It's not a war on minorities. It's a war on poor. It's a war on poverty. When you can sit down and see a police officer write a ticket for a homeless person, a literal ticket for a homeless person, how does he believe that's gonna be paid? And it's not because the homeless person actually did anything wrong, it's because he don't like the way he's sitting at, or she don't like that they're sitting somewhere. Not blocking anything, they're just sitting down somewhere. And I say it like that because I I was doing volunteer work called Clean the Canal. Down in Richmond County, Georgia, we were cleaning the canal that they now have, and it's an absolutely beautiful place. But there's an area which I lived in Augusta for years and had never seen, but it's right next to the Salvation Army now, God bless the Salvation Army, because they only have so many resources, so many rooms, so many beds, and I've actually met people that have needed to utilize these rooms, these beds, and right beside them, right beside the Salvation Army, is a uh, portion of the canal, and that portion of the canal is covered by a bridge, under that bridge is Homeless row. Now while we were doing or cleaning the canal, there was a point where we were coming up on the canal and the Salvation Army and we were being escorted by Richmond County deputies. At the time, the sheriff was Ronald Strength. The funny part about that was the fact that I was down there with one of my sons and we were cleaning and we come up on Homeless Row and a lot of these people are sitting out there and some of the places people are not on their area or whatever you want to call it because they're, they're literally sitting on boxes, on old tarps, on pieces of plastic. And I'm not talking about a, a line of grown men. I'm talking about a line of veterans. I'm talking about a line of women with children, boys and girls. I'm talking about a line of people that are hungry. A line of Americans that are hungry. A line of Americans that have fought for this country, that have been forgotten. And the reason why I brought up the fact that we were being escorted by police officers from Richmond County, was the fact that while we were walking, I was up front, my son was beside me, And one of the police officers looked at me because we came to an area where there was a couple little bags and looked like some old for for you and i it was probably be safe to say it was a bag of trash because that's what it looked like to me but it was also laying beside this area that had you know a little box makeshift tent or whatever and the police officer goes if nobody's on it throw it away i looked at him and i told him no because one i couldn't believe he had said that and i kept walking so he goes no you need to pick that up and throw that away so in that instance he and i which i hated because it was in front of my child he and i got into an argument a literal verbal loud argument it was loud enough that the person that actually set it up the director heard me and I don't know exactly how far away he was, but it was some distance between us. It was at least a good 200 yards. So when I get upset and I started screaming, he <laughs> and this police officer actually threatened me with arrest. Now keep in mind, I'm volunteering to clean up a canal. Now he's threatening me with arrest because I refuse to take someone's home who's outside and throw it in the trash. It got to be such a commotion that a lot of the other volunteers began to gather around. And when these other volunteers gathered around, the police officer called for backup. Now keep in mind, these are business owners. These are older women. There was actually a massage therapist that was there because she was giving out free massages to the people that was cleaning up but these were not violent people these were actually people that cared about the community and the funny part is most of these people didn't even live in this community and anybody that knows downtown Augusta and knows other than for that one week in April it is a majority minority area None of these people that were standing with me lived in that area and none of these people were minorities, nor was this police officer. So when his people come up, his backup, they arrive and the director asked, what's going on? I used a lot of expletives to describe this police officer and his action. And the police officer explained he was going to arrest me but not doing it it wasn't until the director who called Ronald Strength directly and told him what was going on did this police officer stop attempting to put me in handcuffs because I refused to throw away the home of a homeless person See, listen how that sounds He wanted me to throw away the home of a homeless person because this person literally has nothing. But because I refused to hinder further what this person was going through, this police officer thought it was the right thing to do was to help try to generate revenue. Now, I said that to say this, when you're talking about why anybody does anything, why would someone not just say, you know what, you're right? Or not even say, you know what, leave those alone because they already have nothing. Why would it be an absolute necessity to throw someone in jail and there's no complaining witness? There's no damage to anybody's property. But because I don't do what he says, because he's a servant, and I spoke to him as a servant, And I'm going to say this to any police officers That are listening Any public officials that are listening Because I appreciate each and every one of you But The problem is Many of you forget your oath Many of you Are taught That you're in charge of something Many of you are taught that just because You wear a badge and uniform That you have authority Many of you believe that you're not in service of the public. And the fact is, the constitution itself is a trust document. When you hold up your right hand and swear to God, I'm gonna say that one more time. When you hold up your right hand and you say your oath and you swear to God to become the fiduciary of the public You are in service to the public. You are only in authority when the public breaches that trust by harming another individual with damage to one's person, damage to one's property. If none of that is present, that is a breach of your fiduciary duty. That is why it's codified. In federal law, because the supreme law of the land is simple, it's reinstated through the fact that you have this beautiful thing called the Supremacy Clause inside the Constitution of the United States of America, which you held up your right hand and swore to God that you would defend. Supremacy Clause of the United States of America's Constitution, Article 6, Clause 2, establishes that the Constitution's federal laws made pursuant to treaties are the supreme law of the land and any conflicts of law between state and the federal government. The federal law Super season. So anything that contradicts the fiduciary duty that is codified in federal law, whether it's on the state level or the county level, is a breach of your fiduciary duty and a violation to your oath. And the easy is not only are you lying to yourself. You're lying to God. And then you want to call others criminals. The worst criminal act is one that is not one of God's law. It is not one of humanity. And that's what a breach of your fiduciary duty to service the public is. And when you're going out here and your primary job is to generate revenue, that is an inhumane act. It is an act against God. And when we're talking about this bill, it's not prison reform we need, it's justice reform. It's exercising our rights because if we are not exercising we're not improving we're not becoming better within them we're not even doing what's necessary to make sure we maintain them you know like you know when you get the dad bod because you're not maintaining those abs or when you get the flabby arms because you're not maintaining the strict diet you was on or when you get that beer gut because you know Every night's Miller night, right? You know. But anyway, the biggest issue we have is putting something together and maintaining the ideals that were set forth not by our forefathers, but by the st- structures of this country itself. We may not like a lot of what's going on, but we also have to enforce what is supposed to be there. Cause as long as we're trying to do everything over the phone, it's not gonna happen. Cause I will hang the phone up in anybody's face at any given time for any given reason. I don't have to answer you. But it's more difficult to tell you no when you're face to face. It's more difficult to BS you when you're standing there face to face and you're getting pictures, you're getting names. Because now if I'm looking in your face, I can hold you accountable. Whether it's now or a little bit later. But I can hold you accountable. And it's not going to be in state court. Why? Because the federal law supersedes state law. Or state statutes, codes, and ordinances. Which I spoke about in the Selective Incorporation Doctrine. And also also Louisiana v. Duncan. We have to want to be better. We have to want to exercise. We have to want, at this point, to be confrontational. That does not mean you have to be belligerent. Because I was confrontational most of my life on the back end of this thing since 2008 with a smile on my face. Because anybody that wants to violate your rights you help them understand that what they're doing is wrong by hitting those pockets. Because that's how people learn. Because if you got to pay enough, you'll learn how to not do it. Or you'll learn how to do it correctly. Because we know for a fact that police officers that do something wrong or that are reprimanded for doing something, and people always say, oh, I'm going h- to tell my lawyer, I'm going to get my lawyer on and they're going to do If you're not doing it. Guess what he's going to do? Because anytime... There's a violation to your civil liberties... And you do nothing... You're telling them... It's okay. And guess what? You are reinforcing their... Poor behavior. Because you are becoming part of the blue wall. You are telling them... That it is alright... To smack somebody... Just for a traffic ticket. You are telling them it is okay to kick a patient while he's in handcuffs you're telling them it's okay to kill somebody because they're looking at a cell phone you're telling them it's okay to put their knee on a 14 year old girl's face because you're doing exactly what the rest of the blue wall is doing and that's not holding them accountable And, and actually writing up a reprimand or doing a formal complaint where you're going to tell a cop on a cop and then get upset that the cops do nothing just like when I spoke about Tennessee v. Gardner it blew my mind that that was actually A civil rights violation not a criminal violation but it's also the grounds for wrongful death I'm gonna say that one more time you hold them accountable civilly in federal court in their personal capacity and if their supervisor comes in Guess what? Because he okay's that behavior, because he allowed that to continue, you hold the supervisor liable. Because again, he becomes a hey. What's the what's what? What did the cops say we were doing? They become a co-conspirator, or my favorite, the supervisor begins to act in concert, and it goes along with everybody that goes to a scene and allows a fiduciary violation to continue, not to happen, but to continue, to go along with it, to say it's okay. I've done this from DUI stops to simple jaywalks. Anybody that allowed it to go further than it necessary, you hold them accountable, you hit those pockets. I actually had somebody tell me a while back was, oh, you won't go to federal court for a traffic citation let's go ahead and rephrase that because you won't go to federal court for a traffic violation I've done it multiple times whether you like it or not whether it seems easy or not whether it seems hard or not I'm showing you the road what you do with it is up to you this is one of those red pills or blue pill moments By listening, you want to see how deep the rabbit hole goes because when you go to my community page, I'm showing you, not me, but the news. They're showing you these one- and two-minute snippets of where people are doing exactly what I'm telling you to do. They're holding police officers accountable in federal court and they're winning. They're pulling oaths of office. They're winning. They're exercising their rights. And they're winning. They're getting videotapes. They're getting audio tapes. They're getting police reports and using them. They're exercising. And they're winning. And one of the biggest things is they're using their own written statements. They're writing their own motions. They're writing their motions when they get arrested for a speedy trial. Why? Because they're exercising that right. Because at the end of the day, if you are not exercising your rights, you're giving them up. I'm going to say that one more time. If you're not exercising your rights, if you're not being adversarial, if you're not being confrontational, if you're trying to handle business over the phone, you're not doing what your forefathers that set up this country, set out for you to do. And you're telling them that their behavior is okay with you. You're condoning being slammed to the pavement. You're condoning being shot at because they're scared to do their job properly. You either exercise or you stop complaining. You either exercise or just go ahead and say, you know what, you're right. You was right to shoot that unarmed man in the back eight times, even though there was no threat. You was right to slam that 13 year old boy that was going to a dance on his face and fracture his skull. You were right to shoot at that autistic boy and shoot him in the chest twice. You were right although he didn't do anything you were right because I don't want to exercise I want to live in fear and I'm about to close but I want you to understand something if you're living your life in fear you are not living your life in a proper sense because you're giving up everything that God gave to you and God is not fear God is not fearful. And that's all I got for tonight. Be on the lookout because I'm going to start doing more. I'm figuring out a way to get this done at a more beneficial rate. Because, yes, I want to give you substance, but I also want to make sure you got enough material to not only fight, but to win be effective and be concise because a lot of us are going out there and we're we're going out there We're we're trying to mow down everybody in front of us when we actually need to go after the person that does us wrong we don't need to blame a whole slew of people we blame the person that actually did the act if they don't want to have a judicial system that's set up for Holding people accountable—that's going for guilt or innocence. We'll make sure they understand that we will not tolerate anything less. So until next time. The Shaking Colossus.